All right, if you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to uh, 2 Timothy, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's started already. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 6 through the end of the chapter, which is uh, verse 18. And so I'll give you just a little kind of lay of the land roadmap here. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to read through the scriptures. Um, then we're going to give a little introduction. And then we're going to drill down on, on the text, primarily working towards application this morning. So a little bit different format than uh, maybe previous weeks. But uh, we'll read through our text. And then we're going to talk about the application of our text and then, and then work towards uh, kind of drilling down on the, on the very specific things that that will help us this morning. So let's pray together, then we'll read our text. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. It's um, just a beautiful day. And I pray, Lord, that all the, the uh, things that we're looking forward to this afternoon, we could just kind of put those aside for a moment and focus on your word and, and let you speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, speak to our hearts, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, our text, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 6. Paul's writing to Timothy, as you know. Timothy's in Ephesus. Paul is imprisoned in a dungeon in Rome. Uh, Paul is uh, uh, waiting his, uh, for his, uh, the outcome before Nero, when Paul has a great sense that uh, you know, this is perhaps his last few words that he's going to share. And so he writes to this young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he says this beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a, a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed. And so I want you to key in on this word ashamed because it's really the focus of our text. Paul's going to use that three times in the next few verses. So he says in verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not what? I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not what? 
He was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service. And that, that word service that's used twice is the word that we use for deacon. All the service he rendered at Ephesus. If I were to ask you the meaning of, of two words, um, uh, what would you say a missiologist is? Anybody? I know you got an extra hour of sleep, so you know you just got to kind of let the coffee kick in or, or Google it real quick. So what's a missiologist? Oh, let me start again. What's an anthropologist? Well, oh, we have a we have a, a nice high school English teacher to our rescue. <laughs> so, what do you, what's an anthropologist? Someone who studies cultures and people groups. So, an anthropologist studies cultures and people groups. They look at different groups of people and they try to kind of define what the characteristics of that group of people are. What's a missiologist? A missiologist is on mission, right? And they're looking at the culture, trying to define how the gospel can penetrate that culture. And when you look at these two groups of uh, scientists, like uh, people science, um, what they've come to find out is that there's three main people groups or three main cultures in the world. The first is... Uh, in they have poles, so they have fear and power is the first one. And when we look at cultures that operate by fear and power, how could we, oh, who would those cultures be? You're saying, where is he going this morning? Just hang with me for a few minutes. Fear and power, primarily animist countries uh, from Africa, and, uh, and we have one right over here that's from Liberia. And so their culture is geared towards fear, primarily, and power. And so when they look at, say, when a culture like that, fear and power, looks at the creation narrative, who do you think the focus is on? No, the focus is on Satan. The focus is on the devil. And so they tend to default, when you look at practice in church life, they, they tend to default towards signs and wonders, that everything's geared towards defeating the power of the devil and, and, and uh, breaking the curses and breaking the power that's over the culture. And so they tend to drift towards a very, uh, say, aggressive uh, uh, Pentecostalism and the way they approach religion, when they, the way they approach Christianity. So it's all about signs and wonders because as our brother shared a couple weeks ago, if a child gets sick in Liberia, if a child gets sick in the Congo, you have two options. Option number one is you bring them to the Christian pastor, they anoint them with oil, and they get healed, or they bring them where else? The witch doctor. And so the whole culture revolves around this aspect that there's an evil force in the world and God has given us power to break that evil force. Now, in our local area, there's three new churches. 
And all three of those churches have as their philosophy of ministry or their worldview this aspect of fear and power. And one of them's next door. And so when you look at how they orient themselves to the gospel, when they look at the creation narrative, they see the serpent Satan and God has come to crush that thing and, and that's the way we do church life. The second way, um, say, missiologists look at culture and try to you know, penetrate that culture with the gospel is something that we're very familiar with. with I even mentioned it jokingly uh, this morning already. Guilt and innocence. And so we, as our primary cultural defaults, we tend to, to control people through the use of guilt. In other words, we try to make people feel what? Bad inside. You know, that, that well, we've done something wrong, and, well, we've got to make it right. And, and when we look at the creation narrative, when we look at the creation narrative, we see that Adam and Eve... Uh, committed sin and were wrong, and we see God coming and slaying the animal and putting the, the, the slain animal's, you know, skin over Adam and Eve and sending them, out, sending them out into the world. And so primarily in our culture, up until recently, that's the way, you know, you know let's face it, in church life, a little guilt goes a long way. You know, if, you, if we want to raise some money, what do we do? You kind of put a little guilt, you know, if you were a good person, you'd give to this. You know, the, it's for the children, you know, you need to give. And we, would, we tend to default towards motivating people through, through guilt. The third major area that anthropologists and missiologists look at is, is shame and honor cultures. And what would be a shame and honor culture? Yeah, almost anything in the Asian kind of realm would be shame. And, and, the, and culture controls them by a, a fear of losing what? Losing face. And so you never want to be shamed by uh, the collective. The collective group, the community shames you, and therefore you conform to the culture of the day. And you want to be honored. You don't want to be shamed. And with each one of these, whether it's uh, fear power, whether it's um, shame honor, whether it's guilt innocence, it, the, Satan uses the most weakest part of the culture to keep them from the gospel. Now, what I'd like to suggest is that there's a, there is a great shift happening in our culture today, is that we're moving from a primarily Anglo Guilt, shame, guilt, guilt, innocence, where we feel guilty inside, we're moving towards more of a shame culture. And it's stopping us from sharing the gospel. Now, let me illustrate this from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. If you post something, if you f post something that's outside of this this group of people, this and many times minority, this minority group of people is determined that this is ex acceptable behavior. And you as a Christian, you post something on Facebook that's, that's not part of this liberal minority opinion in our country. What happens? You're shamed. What they do is they come after you. 
and say that, that your position, your position towards the gospel, or your position towards culture, you are a bad person. That's shame. Guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I'm a, I'm a bad person. And you know, this happened. This happened to my family this past week. We've always been, as Conways, we've got some French guy in there, Rouliet, Roulier. Anyway, just, hi, Gavin, just joking with you. We were raised that we're going to engage culture during these somewhat secular holidays. So Halloween comes along, we're going to engage culture. Christmas comes along, we're going to engage culture. We're going to bring the gospel into our culture. And we did that this past Halloween. And lo and behold, we're ashamed. You're bad people for doing that. Christians don't do that. What's the outcome when you're shamed on social media? What's the outcome where you're told you're a bad person in social media? What do you do? I can tell you what I've done progressively over the last year. I've stepped back. I don't participate. I, 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 I stop sending emails. I stop posting something that is so innocent because what the culture is shifting to is not... Is not a guilt-based culture, which comes from the inside. It's, it's the collective that, that is putting on believers that you're a bad person for believing in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father by him. Have you experienced that? And it's progressively growing in our culture. Now, I'm going to date myself. Does anybody know what the Borg is? Comes from where? You are very bad people for listening to that hyper-spiritualism, you know, that yoga boga stuff that's promoted in that stuff. The Borg. What was the, what's the Borg's tagline? You will be assimilated. You'll be assimilated. And a shame culture is based upon the collective, the Borg, that you will be assimilated. And what it, what it causes you to do is to lose your voice. No, I'll personalize it. What it's caused me to do is stop speaking. Stop sending out emails to the church. Stop posting things online. Because the minute you do something that's outside of the collective, you get tagged as what is wrong with you. And what I'd like to suggest this morning is this is exactly what Timothy was dealing with in Ephesus. Is that everyone had deserted Paul. There was no one left that believed in Paul. The minute he was, experienced his second imprisonment, when Nero was in complete control, where he was crucifying Christians, what Timothy found is that the, that the very people in his church that he was pastoring, he became what? Ashamed. He became ashamed of Paul. He became ashamed of the gospel, and he lost his voice. And what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is that this is the very thing that's happening to us as Christians, is that we don't speak. And if we do speak, 
we tend to be a jerk. We tend to be harsh and angry, and we're losing our voice in the midst of the culture rather than having a winsomeness to about us where we know that, that Christ is in us and the power of the Holy Spirit is empowering us to speak the gospel to our culture and to try to say, Lord, how do we do that with wisdom? This is what Paul is speaking to Timothy. And we're living in a day where, where we have this minority who has control of media, has control of power, who has control of academia. And that power elite group, when you step out of line, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior that he rose from the dead. What is wrong with you? Have you experienced that? I have. I have. And it, it has caused me to stop speaking. Stop posting. Stop sending out emails. Start doing that. Why? Why? Because I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to be shamed. Because I don't, I don't want to lose my connections with people. I don't want to lose my friendships. I don't want to lose my status in the community. But the fact is, is that I have. Because this group here says, if you're a believer, then, hey, then there's something wrong with you. And what Paul gives to Timothy is a remedy to being ashamed. Take a look at the first one with me. Paul says the majority judged Paul's ministry as unacceptable. They rejected both message and messenger. So Paul calls Timothy to reinforce his identity in Christ and not his identity that the culture gives him. And as a believer... Our identity is found in who Jesus Christ says we are, not who the world says we are, that we have been bought by, a, by, we have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he has translated us into the, from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of the world, into the kingdom of light, into the marvelous kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. That is who we are. Amen. Look at what Paul said. that's... Wow, got an amen, wow. Paul, <laughs> just joking with you. Paul writes in verse 9, he says this to Timothy. He says to Timothy, remember that your identity is found in Jesus Christ and not culture. Your identity is defined in who Jesus says you are, not who culture says you are. He says this in verse 9, who saved us. <laughs> got to calm down here who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Our purpose is realized when we know who we are in Jesus Christ, that we've been forgiven, that we've been saved, that we've been bought with a price. And that is who we are, not who culture says that we are. And when we walk in the reality of who we are in Jesus Christ. We live to the, to the fullest purposes that we've been created to do. Over and over again, at the Lord's table, week after week after week, for the last year, I've said this phrase. When you come to the Lord's table, step into all that you are in who? 
in Jesus Christ. Make a decision. Make a decision to appropriate who we are in Jesus Christ. That's the remedy to the collective. That's the remedy to culture. That's the remedy that changed the world upside down when the church, when the Holy Spirit came and formed the church, is they got a new identity. And the, and the identity that they had is they were sons and daughters of the living king, living, risen king, and his name is Jesus Christ. Secondly, a remedy from being ashamed is Paul reminds Timothy that his ministry is a gift. His calling and salvation are a result of grace. And Paul shares his personal testimony this way in verse 12. Paul says, I am not, what? Ashamed. I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Also Ephesians 2, 89 and, 10, and, and, and uh, Titus 3, 5. The grace is our foundation. We don't need to, to work for our salvation. We don't need to perform for our salvation. We, we don't need to be a, like a, a puppet on a string. But culture demands what? Culture demands work. Culture demands conformity. Culture demands that you work and behave according, and once again, according to this minority opinion that controls culture, media, and academia because of, the, because of the minority. Those that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are losing their voice. And the remedy to that is to know that we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, we, we serve a risen king who died for our sins, who was buried and on the third day rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. Amen. And when, when, the, when, when the, the guys and the, you know, the early disciples, when he rose into heaven, what was the word? In the same way that you see Jesus going is the same way he's going to come. And that is the blessed hope that we share. What, you know, what is this culture doing to our children? The world is going to be gone in 12 years. Someone corrected me at the 830. He said, no, it, it's 11 years and one month and a few days now. The world is going to be gone. Can you imagine, like I grew up, and during the Cold War era. I was just a young boy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I was, I, what the nuns had in mind, I, had, I don't have a clue. But, you know, we used to go through these, these drills where you get underneath your desk. How many went through those drills? You old critters, you. You get underneath your desk. Now, what in God's name are they talking about getting under the desk? It's going to be a nuclear strike. What is, what's the deal? I mean, what are they thinking of? Are they, oh, we're going to run into the basement. Like, what is that about? And it shaped a generation. It shaped a generation that, that you, could, you could lose your life. You could be gone in a minute. And we get these 12 years. What if I'm like 10 years old? Oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to make it to 21. Maybe. The gospel doesn't teach that. 
The gospel teaches that, that there isn't going to be an end coming, yes. But, it, but friends, it's not 12 years. It's not. Could be one year. And we say, what? Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. What are we doing to our children when we infuse into their mind anything less than the victory that we have in Christ and the glory that's going to be revealed when his second coming comes? And may, you know, there's some of you that don't believe in the rapture of the church, but, you know, when I'm going up, I'll say goodbye to you. No. <laughs> yeah, have fun in the tribulation. Goodbye. <laughs> but anyway, you get my point. Is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he doesn't bring despair. He brings hope and a future and that he's got a plan for your life. And he's always been that way. Always been that way. There is a minority opinion that has power and control over media, power and control over culture, power and control over academia, and they've shifted into shaming people, and we have lost or are losing our voice. And Timothy was in that same place. And Paul says to Timothy, I know who I, I know who I believe. I know him. Matter of fact, he knocked me off my horse when I was on the road to Damascus. And when we look at, our, when we consider our children, all the children that were filled the platform this morning, we need to be praying for them, not that they become good at sin management, but they become transformed by the living God and a born-again relationship with Him and stand as a mature believer and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the remedy to this, the Borg. Thirdly, and we've referenced this already, is Paul reminds Timothy that it is God's power which mitigates fear. This power is transformational because it leads to love and self-control, and Timothy is commanded to appropriate it by fanning the flame and intentionally guarding and protecting the good deposit that was entrusted to him that there is a power that resides within the believer. It is the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And he empowers the believer towards what? Towards love, towards agape, towards servanthood, towards loving your neighbor, towards loving God and loving your neighbor. He doesn't empower us towards anger. He doesn't empower us to shame people. Yet, you know, I'd have to say the, 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 the number one group of people that have shamed me and my family over the last several years have been Christians. Amen. Number one, not my unbelieving friends. All my unbelieving friends, they put their arms around me and wept with me. We're not called to be a, an angry person, the Holy Spirit empowers us to love people, to be graceful to people, to weep with those who weep, to laugh with those who laugh, 
to enjoy life and to experience God's joy. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy, I get this, get this. The Holy Spirit's empowering me to go out this afternoon and get one more paddle in, one more kayak trip, because it's a glorious day, and I am going to eat the biggest piece of roast beef that I can find at Market Basket this afternoon. And I am going to do it to his glory and my joy. How's that? How's that? That's, that life is appealing, isn't it? Oh, the world's going to be over in 11 years. Is that, is that appealing? The Holy Spirit doesn't empower us to be angry and to be contentious. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love people to be winsome about it, to communicate the gospel in a way that, hey, Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, little shot Irishman up in that tree, I see you. You know, Zacchaeus was Irish and he climbed the tree because he was so short, you know, little pudgy belly. Come on down. Let's have lunch. I mean, you just look at the gospel and Jesus was, I mean, Jesus is appealing. His grace is overwhelming. The, the people that Jesus had a hard time with were, were, were the self-righteous, thinking that they had it all together. People that were broken and just like undone. He was like, you know, come on, come, let's go out to lunch. Let's hang out together. And the, and the people of their day sh- shamed him. Shame, Jesus. Oh, he's... Who is he? Yeah. Don't be that way. Don't be that way to me. Love people. Let Let the power of the Holy Spirit, the primary manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is a transformed life that loves other people. That's the primary evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's to love people, to love God. When we look at the text, we know that Paul affirms that the word of God is the pattern, says that in verse 13, which anchors the believer to truth and eternal life found in Jesus Christ. That anchors us. That lets us know that this life isn't all that there is. It, it lets us know that the Holy Spirit resides within the believer's life. It lets us know that, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It should be a freeing thing. I don't care what this, the Borg, says. They have no spiritual discernment. They cannot understand the things of God because their heart has been hardened by the continual denial of the living God. Why should we listen to them? Why should we buy into their values? Because of shame. That's why. And when you're shamed, take a step back. Say, well, did the best I could try to communicate. It wasn't good enough. Take a step back. I'm not going to take a risk And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, stop taking steps back. Know your identity in Christ. Grace is the foundation. The power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God is the truth of God. 
and will endure forever. Then finally, Paul says, deacons are a pastor's refreshers. What he's saying to Timothy is, look, you're not alone. And he uses the example of Anisiphorus who comes and searches for Paul, searches the dungeon, searches the prisons. And then he finds Paul and he embraces him. We are not alone. We have each other. We have a community of believers that stand as a witness in the midst of a dark culture that wants to shame Christians to stop speaking the grace and love of God. My challenge to you today is to let the Holy Spirit fill you again. You know, you go through the book of Acts, you know, you see the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then, 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 then you see like a couple chapters later, oh, the same guys are filled again. And then a couple chapters later, you see the same Peter's filled again. And a couple chapters later, they're filled again. Why? Because they leak. And we need the filling of the Spirit so that we can operate in love for people. It's a supernatural thing. It's both, let me correct myself, it's both natural, it's a choice, and it's supernatural because it's a work of the Spirit. And let us be a people that love God, but let us be an outrageous people of grace, people that love people that are unlovable, and when they shame us, we don't engage in the harsh dialogue that has become normative in our culture. Let us not fall into the trap because we will lose our witness and we will lose our voice. And our culture needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our culture needs Jesus. And we are his light and we are his representatives. Timothy was in Ephesus, to bring it to a close. Timothy's in Ephesus. Most of the church said, Paul's done. And Timothy became ashamed of Paul and of the gospel. And the very gospel is the power unto God, unto salvation, for the Jew first and then the Greek. Let us be that people that have identity, our identity rooted in who we are in Christ and not in culture. And let us find the winsomeness of grace and the compassion of love to reach and to keep speaking the gospel to Jesus Christ to our culture today. Amen?